All right, you've already heard from me, so we'll just start off and sloshing through Colossians. We've been sloshing for a while. We've only got like one more lesson to go in this, and we will finally be out of this mud puddle, okay? Actually, it's not a mud puddle. I don't think there are really good things there. So tonight, we, we think about things that maybe you've heard before, and I'm going to try to emphasize some different things for some of us to think about maybe than what we have in the past. But you may know this or not know this, but Roman homes had household rules. There were specific rules that Roman houses had. And basically what that means is the Gentiles had in the Roman Empire. And so there were things that were really pretty good. There are some things that were not good. We're going to talk about both tonight. But there were things that were expected because the Roman household was a microcosm of the entire empire. And so what happened in that house was to be how you looked at the whole the whole world or the whole empire. And so what was happening there was important. You have heard the same exact things about the United States. Back probably, and for those of you who are old enough to know this, the 70s, the 80s, this was often talked about. What's happening in the home affects what's happening in the country. And when we would talk about those things sometimes, or I'd hear other people talk about them. And so it's really true because what happens in the home does impact everything as far as society goes. And so it was seen to be really, really important that there was some type of structure that was in the house so that the empire would stay strong. Now, my lesson tonight is not about saving our country. That's not what I mean, although we all would enjoy that too. But it is about what the Bible says about these rules or what the Bible says about the household. And so in Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 21, a similar little list is given in, uh, in Ephesians. These are what you would call the household rules that you, for, for a godly family. And so Paul takes what were very similar to the rules that they understood in the Gentile world, and he said, this is what we are to follow. This is obviously Holy Spirit inspired. Wives, Submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And then we'll read the rest later in just a few minutes. This is not exactly popular stuff in our country and culture today, right? This is not where you want to start. Matter of fact, I even remember reading this in a wedding one time and the couple laughed when I read it because this is not usually where we start. Wives, submit to your husbands. And part of that is because of what our view is of submit and how we look at that. In the Roman household, everything was very different. Matter of fact, the power of the, of the father, the pater, you know that word, it was limitless pretty much. They could do as they wished. Just to give you some ideas of what the, what the household was like, the father was over everything. He was over the mother, and then he and they were, was over the children and over the slaves and whoever else might be considered a part of that household. Whoever was in that family line, the father, the oldest male, would be in charge even of the adult children. Try to manage your adult children. That is not very easy, is it? And so, but that's the way it worked. Incidentally, children were considered infants until they were seven years old. Isn't that funny? Can you imagine? This is my, this is my six-year-old infant. That sounds kind of funny to say, doesn't it? 
Now, a girl would usually, not always, they were then considered, considered extremely young, long, longer than we usually go, but a girl would typically be engaged when she was 12 years old and married when she was 13 years old. Now, if she gets married, then she becomes a woman, an adult. But if she's not married, she is still considered a child and she is under her father. When she gets married, she is now under her husband. It's interesting how the household looked compared to our households or even what Paul is going to say here about what households should be like as he says, wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh to them. Children, obey your parents and so on. Well, some rules are important for family life to run well. Have you ever known those families that had no rules? Those are not the people that you want to sit by in a restaurant, right? The ones that let their kids do anything they want, you don't want to sit there because that is, that's just not fun for anyone except for the family who's over there making the mess, right? We have to have some rules. It just wouldn't be right if there weren't some rules. There are things that need to be set down, agreed upon, and I pray that as Christian people that we are looking at the Bible and we are determining from the morals of, of God himself of what is good and bad and what needs to happen. There is obviously flexibility. What time your kids go to bed, how you pay the bills, whatever it is, but some rules are very important for a family to run, for a family to run well. I had an opportunity a few years ago to hear, to hear a, a biblical scholar some of you know of named N.T. Wright, and he said this, the alternative to rules is the unconstitutional tyranny of the most selfish member. Wow. He's talking about church life. <laughs> it's the same as true anywhere, right? In any organization, a country, a club, a, a business, a family, the alternative to rule is the unconstitutional tyranny of the one who pouts the most, sticks out their lip the most, the one that demands their way. And everybody has to follow that. That is not what God called the Christian family to be. God called the Christian family to work together and to function together in a way that God is magnified and that family functions well as it goes through life. Well, this is groundbreaking material to the Gentiles that would have been reading this. If there were Jewish Christians in the church in Colossae, they would have heard something like this. But if you are, if you are a Roman or if you are a Gentile, you would have gone, wow, what are you, this, is, this is incredible. And he said, well, what are you talking about? What makes this incredible? He says things like, don't be harsh to your wife. Don't be mean to your kids. These were things that weren't even considered in those days. The husband or the man of the family basically had ultimate power. Men were seldom sensitive to the needs of others. It is about me and only me. What makes me feel good? What is it that honors me? And everybody else in the family has to cater to that one individual. For those of you who are old enough to know the show All is in the Family, All in the Family with Archie Bunker, it's that idea of everything centers around Archie, around the around the dad, and is and he 
sits down in his chair and his wife puts his hand out and his wife puts his beer in his hand and everything is about him. That is not the way typically to make a family run well. So when they're saying, hey, that's not about limitless power, but it's about husbands loving their wives. It's about not treating them harshly or your children harshly. But kids, still obey your parents. This is important. Often in a Roman family, a child did not know their mother very well. They knew their nurse. They did not know their mother very well. The father, the father just told them what to do in order to sometimes make their life very difficult. A matter of fact, a father had this much power. When a baby was born, the father had the power to decide if they kept the baby. The baby either could be kept by the family, he could say, no, we're going to adopt out this baby, or he could say, we are going to abandon this baby and they will die. The father in a Roman family had that kind of power. We talk about things bad in the United States. I think this is, this is worse. So whenever he says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. He's starting, something is being created here that is so different from what they had heard in their past. Now all of this is to be understood within reason husbands are not to be abusive to their wives there is no excuse to to hit your wife there is no excuse to hit your husband that's not what we're supposed to do it is not husbands sometimes the reason that this scripture has been that nobody wants to read it anymore is because of the way husbands have taken this more like a roman husband than than like a godly husband we work together within reason if your wife wives submit to your husband's well, if your husband says, I want you to go murder someone, wives, don't obey that, okay? That's not in the Lord. Don't do that. Children, if your parents tell you to go kill someone, don't do that. Even though it says obey them, you obey within reason, within what's right and what honors God. And it goes on in Colossians 3, 22 through chapter 4, verse 1, to another group that was a part of the house, slaves. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not as if for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, Provide for your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now you have probably already just figured that out by that last sentence that what he is saying is mind-blowing to his audience. But he starts out with slaves. And isn't it interesting what he does here? Slaves, I want you to work as hard as you can as if you are working for the Lord. I want you to be incredible in the work you do. I think it'd be really hard to be a slave. It'd be really hard to try to make things better for someone that I will receive no benefit from. That would be really difficult to do. But that's what he says to do. You work as if you are working for the Lord when you work for that person. Now, you know on Sunday mornings I preach sermons, and on Wednesday night I teach classes and, or lessons, and this is what I say on Sunday night is like 
a lerman, okay? It's a lesson and a sermon together. It's kind of put together. So I want to hit a couple of little points, more than I would on Sunday morning, but less than I do on Sunday, on Wednesday night. Slavery here is not just point blank abolished. And that was pointed out a lot during the American Civil War, that it was not completely abolished here. It never, there is never thou shalt not have slaves in the Bible. So I want us to work through this for just a minute. Incidentally, the, sla the slavery of the New Testament was different. In the Roman world of the first century, it was very different than slavery of the 19th century in the United States. For example, slaves in the first century sometimes had other slaves. Sometimes slaves in the first century, well, no matter of fact, artisans, doctors, architects, they were all slaves. It was a very different system. You could buy your way out of slavery. I'm not saying it was good. I'm just telling you it was different, a different form of slavery than today. So it's not just point blank abolished. But I will contend, you can argue with me later, I will contend that it is strongly insinuated that it should be abolished. It was such a part of society. I mean, an overwhelming part of society. It was everywhere that if you were to say that, it would crush Christianity in its infancy because it was such a part of the economy of the Roman Empire. But it's still strongly insinuated. Sometimes you do better if you don't say, don't do that, and you just lead people not to do something. Sometimes we do this with our own children. I don't know if you've ever done this. You just walk through it without ever saying it. If you say it, you have a fight. But if you walk through, with, through it with them over time, they come to understand. Not just children, but adults and probably us too. Over time, we come to understand something. Society moves very slowly, doesn't it? very slowly to get through on any issue. And so as we think about this issue, I want you to think about some things. First of all, what's mind-blowing is Paul reminded slaves that they have an inheritance. They weren't supposed to have an inheritance. They're a slave. But he reminds them, you have something. Just want you to know, slaves, you're not being left out. You have something. You have something better than what your master could give you. You have what your heavenly father can give you. You have eternal life. So don't forget that. And then he says to owners that basically that they are to practice the golden rules. He, the golden rule. He said, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Do you remember what the golden rule is? Do to others what you would have them do to you. You don't do something to someone you don't want to be, you don't want done to you. You do to someone what you would like done to you. So now there's a way that you treat people. So there are many implications to this when you start thinking about this as a slave owner. You start going, oh wow. You mean, you mean I wouldn't beat them because I don't want to be beaten? Right. You mean I wouldn't pay them nothing because I wouldn't want to be paid nothing? Right. You mean I, I wouldn't give them poor living conditions because I wouldn't want poor living conditions? 
right. All at once you're starting to say, well, well, how can I be a slave owner? And Paul smiles. Hmm. Guess you got to figure that one out, huh? Well, maybe I can't be a slave owner. Huh, I guess you figured it out. Some of you remember the little book of Philemon. It is, it, Philemon chapter 2 is my favorite chapter in the Bible. For those of you who don't know, there is no Philemon chapter 2. It's just one chapter, the whole book, one chapter. And it's one page. And so there you have a slave that has run away. A guy by the name of Onesimus has run away. And Paul meets him in prison. And Paul sends him back to Philemon, who is a Christian, who is a slave owner. And Paul says, you need to treat him just like you would treat me. Wow, how would... I wouldn't kill him because... Because I wouldn't kill you, Paul. And, and he says, hey, you remember that you treat him, you, you, you treat him in a way that is honorable. And Paul says, and if you don't do it, by the way, I'm coming to see you to find out what you're doing. And all at once he says, and he also says, you treat him as a brother. Not as a slave, but as a brother. And I have to think through all of that because we don't have, like I say, we don't have chapter 2, so we don't know what happens. I assume it turns out well because we have the letter. But I just have to think how Philemon figured, worked on that one. What do I do with this if I'm treating him like a brother, if I'm not going to beat him for what he's done for running away, if I'm going to treat him as if I'm treating Paul, what do I do? There is something really important about how we treat people. And it appears to me that's exactly where he's going. He's saying, you treat people with dignity and respect. You don't own people. You don't, you don't enslave people. Instead, you treat them with honor and respect the way that you want to be treated and the way that God has treated you. So there's so much more I could say tonight, but you're tired. Not me, you are. So here's my question for us tonight. How do I treat people? How do I treat them? Now, obviously, none of us are slave owners, and that's a wonderful thing. But when you're at the grocery store, how do you treat the person at the grocery store? Or how about, this one's even worse. Not worse, more interesting. How about whenever you have been on hold for an hour and a half and you're waiting to talk to the representative from your bank or from your phone company or whoever, how do you treat that person? How do you treat the people on the Katy Freeway? How do you treat people in your family? And the people that you see in the neighborhood and the people that maybe are your employees or maybe the people that are your bosses. How do you treat them? Do you treat them fairly and with honor as if you would how you want to be treated? Or you treat them in a way that is embarrassing and despicable. I pray it's the first. You treat people as if you were, you were talking to Jesus. Tonight, if you need to be baptized into Jesus, there is no better decision to make. Make that decision. Or if you need prayers tonight, we want to help you with that. And we want to pray for you. Come tonight as we stand and sing.